What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Janella Show. I'm your host, Mike, obviously. This is my 89th podcast episode. Hopefully, won't be my last. Today, Dr. Andy Barr. He's the founder of Innovate Performance. Thanksgiving's right around the corner, so you probably want to get in the mood of working out, burning all those calories, right? Well, this is a guy who will inspire you to do it. Odell Beckham Jr., have you heard of him? Paul George, have you heard of him? Uh, Leroy Sané, Vincent Company, any of these guys ring a bell if you're a sports fan? Well, Andy has worked with all of them as either uh, an injury prevention specialist at Manchester City. Have you heard of that team? How about the New York Knicks? He's been a director of performance and rehabilitation for them. He was also a director of medicine and performance for NYCFC before going solo and starting his own company. He helps the most physically gifted athletes in the world across all different sports not only prevent injury but also rehab as well as maximize their athletic performance so your favorite players he makes sure they're on the field on the court doing their best and most optimal so that you guys from the stands can cheer them on i talked to andy about a lot of stuff so make sure to enjoy that conversation but before that my quick plugs make sure to follow me on social media at mike janella everywhere if you're new to the show and you like what you hear go back and listen to some old episodes they're available anywhere you listen to podcasts or mikejanella.com and if you guys are cool with it maybe throw me a little five-star rating maybe a review saying how much you enjoy the show or like me or hate me i guess you can feel that way too but maybe those of you who think that way just skip the whole review thing but tell everyone you know to jump on board because that way we get more people listening and joining the fun of the mike janella show all right enough about me enough about that here is dr andy barr I always love it when I get to have somebody with an accent on the podcast. Dr. Andy, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, so it's been a few months since you and I met, and you have been working like mad all summer with a bunch of top-level, top-flight athletes, and we're going to talk about all that, working with athletes, injury prevention, rehab, some of your great sports stories, all that kind of stuff. But... I start the show the same way with every guest, and I ask them this question, Andy. What's the best thing to happen to you in the past week? Uh, in the past week? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I think the best thing is probably um, getting my uh, my lease signed for my new facility that I'm opening uh, in Encino. So I think that's pretty... Um, exciting we i'm based out of a place in Encino right now but we're expanding and uh, we've got the lease signed and um we're going to be doing some exciting things there in the future so that's probably the best thing that's happened to me this week for sure that's awesome congratulations you must be doing something right out there yeah i i, I think this I'm, I'm just i'm just doing my best that's all i'm doing so, hey that's all you know. we can ask for um, yeah. So I, I gave a little bit of a scoop on you at the top of the show and all the places you've been. I mean, from Man City to the Knicks and NYCFC, you had your own um, athletic career. You've been working with a lot of individual athletes throughout the years. I think it, people kind of understand when you're, say, a strength coach or an injury prevention specialist for a team, for an organization, right? But explain right. to me a little bit what you do with Innovate because you're not – you know, you're not on the sidelines every week, week in, week out. You're kind of doing your own thing. So how does it differ having your own practice versus working for one of these teams or organizations that people maybe are used to a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'd worked, I was 
you know, really um, blessed with working in elite sport for almost 20 years. Um, played as a, um, a soccer player and then went into um, working with a number of teams in the Premier League. Um, and then obviously transitioned into the NBA and, and spent some time in the MLS too. So I really enjoyed that time, but um, I was, you know, really looking to have a bit more control over my schedule. And um, I still do a lot of the things that I was doing within the team environment, but I do that more independently. But now with my new facility, I have a team there. So rather than um, working uh, with teams um, and just only having the opportunity to work with that team uh, when I'm employed, I'm now able to you know, branch out and work with any athlete that needs help uh, in any sport, which I'm, I was really excited to do. So um, I still do, like I say, a lot of the similar stuff, screening, assessments of biomechanics to identify um, areas of um, potential weakness that might, might be linked to injury risk or um, reduced performance. So that's like one of the key things that I focus on. And then obviously rehab uh, and then training too. Um, but I, I work with teams too. A lot of teams, um, unfortunately, I've got relationships with a lot of staff in different uh, soccer teams internationally and also uh, NBA teams and um, some NFL teams too. So they, they send send me players and athletes to work with and I do a bit of consultancy for them too on, on player management and um, so it's nice I, I'm, I, I think I did my time full time with teams and I got so much out of that but I'm, I'm really uh, you know grateful that I'm in this situation now where I can have a bit more control over my schedule but then be more uh, expansive with my uh, my skill set with the number of different athletes and sports I can cross over to uh, on a consistent basis now. Now, that's the part that really fascinates me, how you mentioned you have these relationships with different teams and organizations and how you can work with different people. Because I've always found it interesting when a player goes, I guess, not off script or whatever, but I don't know the proper terminology, but, you know, someone like, like Leroy Sané, you were working with him this summer, right? He was rehabbing. Yeah. And what, what's that process where him deciding to go to you trumps maybe staying you know in manchester to work with the team physios or someone that they have closer to home how does that how does that balance work where you get to work with someone sort of outside of outside of school almost yeah i mean there's a number of reasons why that that actually happens um i mean teams usually have top quality staff working there and um you know the facilities are usually phenomenal too however you know, when you're working with people day in, day out, um, sometimes you just need a bit of a break and a different change of environment. And LA is a great destination. And it's, you know, a destination where a lot of athletes like to come to train and uh, during their time off. So most of the time when I'm working with guys, it's either if they're um, on, the, on a, a uh, off-season break and they're just trying to either recover from a, an in injury from the previous year or they're just preparing for the next season. And it's just like the building blocks and the foundation before they return to the team. And, you know, everything I do, I usually have a good relationship with their, most teams and I'm, we're communicating and I'm following, you know, some of the, the, the guidelines, what they have and some of the development programs that they um, are trying to um, achieve. But then also I'll provide feedback in terms of what I'm finding too, so they can, you know, continue to, 
you know, um, build on the stuff that we've worked on over the summer. So that's one side of things. And then the other side um, is that long-term injuries and players that, you know, have had a long-term injury. And it's just so good for their recovery just to, you know, stay in a, in a, um, a place of well-being. And having a trip away somewhere to a destination um, like L.A. really, uh, you know, makes them... Um, enjoy the rehab process when it gets a little bit mundane in the place that they've been doing it for like months. So like an ACL injury, you know, if you've going through the grind of, of coming back from one of those tough injuries, it's nice to get away and just do some rehab in another area um, that's going to give them a little bit more mental uh, recharge. So when they go back, they can hit the ground running and, you know, step things up. So I have a lot of players that do that too. They come out when they're, um, looking to, to have a little bit of a break from the team environment um, and then just enjoy the rehab just to recharge mentally more than anything else. Do some guy? I mean, obviously LA for a lot of these guys, it's a great place to be. Do you find that some guys adapt to that better than not? Do they, and, and you know, you don't have to name names. I would love if you did, but I don't want you to talk out of turn or out of school, but you know, do some guys find that maybe it doesn't help that they'd rather be in the comfort of their own home? Or do you find that you being where you are is almost always a benefit no matter who you're working with? Yeah, I think, you know, it's hard to generalize. And like I said, a lot of guys that I work with, um, it's in their off season. I've, I've been fortunate that the guys that I do work with, you know, they're, they're on holiday or vacation. Um, and they, you know, they have uh, some downtime and relaxation and have some fun. But at the same time, they still come and get the work in and do what they need to do to be prepared for, um, you know, seasons, the pre-season coming up. I mean, players like Daniel Sturridge, you can only just see like the, the off-season that he's had uh, and how that led into what he did in pre-season for Liverpool. And um, I mean, there's numerous other players, soccer players that I work with over the summertime that because they are... Um, still ticking over and doing the right things and keeping their body um, in in good condition. You know, they're not overloading themselves excessively because ultimately it's a break. But, um, you know, I think what happens is by um, still still maintaining that training attitude, they're not going to go too wild and go like go um, for two or three weeks where they're just, you know, partying and having too much fun. It's still like they're still maintaining professionalism through the week and working working out and, and working on some of the deficiencies from a physical perspective and making sure that if there's any, you know, um, niggling injuries from you know, previous seasons that they're taken care of. So, yeah, I think, you know, I, I can't say that for all athletes, um, but I've been fortunate with the guys that I work with that, you know, their dedication to being out here is not just for, um, you, you know, coming out because it's LA for some fun and they're actually coming out here to train and to get better as, as athletes. And it's, it's just a nicer place for them to be than um, somewhere else where, you know, you haven't got the weather and, and the beaches and all the other nice things that LA has to offer. So, uh, so yeah, so, I, you know, every, everyone's has, um, um, you know, I can't generalize with athletes, but I think, you know, the guys that I work with are, are pretty, pretty disciplined with, with making sure that they don't get too distracted with, with, um, you know, having, too much fun and they're, they're definitely here to to work at times there are lots of distractions out there in southern california you got to be careful when uh yeah. you got, when you're out there for, so, for work so take me through a typical process like say you know daniel sturridge for example he comes to you this summer 
you know, had a season with Liverpool last year. He wants to get better or wants to prevent injury. When someone like that walks in or meets you for the summer, what happens? What's the assessment process? What's the, like, the battery of tests, the diagnostics? What do you do without giving away too many trade secrets? Obviously, you have your proprietary information, but what's that process like for you once a guy comes in and says, all right, let's get to work? Well, I'm, I'm glad you said what are the assessment process because that's that is the the key to everything. You've got to have a good assessment to formulate your baseline. Um, with most athletes, there's been some sort of injury history, so that's always the biggest factor that you got to take into consideration before any program. Because first of all, it's the biggest injury risk predictor for reoccurrences. So you got to ensure that you know. Let's be smart with injury history. Factor in. Um, what you need to 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 do your program. Let's take care of that as the the priority number one. Um, and then I, I um, use uh, this uh, cutting edge technology that actually helps me identify objectively um, biomechanical uh, movements and forces. So I use these sensors that um, are put on the body, and I go through a series of actions that the player might perform when they're playing. So jumping and landing, cutting, um, drop steps, uh, lunges, all the things that you they would do when they play, um, running, jogging, stop, slowing down, those type of things. And then I look at what the, the, the forces are that they're producing when they do these movements, if there's any asymmetries, how well they're controlling um, the different segments within the body, how well the movement is controlled, when I'm asking them to consciously control certain movements while they're performing these actions. Um, I look at the mobility status. Um, and then from looking at all these different areas, I can then formulate a, a more uh, individualized and personalized program. So I take the data that I um, use from the battery of tests and I put it into the software that I've created that then automates um, from a rule generator certain things that this athlete might need to work on, whether it's improving their general strength or whether it's uh, improving their ability to decelerate and absorb force or whether it's improving their ability to um, redistribute the, the forces by improving their reactive strength or so their elasticity or whether it's improving power or mobility or the control of motion in certain directions. So take into account the the positions that they play, the movements that they do consistently and the actions that they have to carry out as part of the game and build a program from that. So my goal is to always start with the sport and then build down as opposed to starting with, you know, what is the, the I need this guy to, um, you know, bench more. I'm gonna, that's my goal for the for the off season is to make him stronger at his bench press. Well, no, I'm going to look at what's the, the actions that they do in the game and then I'm going to create a battery of tests that look at um, objectively measuring those actions when they're in their basic form. And then I create a program that is designed to improve the actions that they would do when they're playing and to also main, give them, provide them with more durability uh, and um, make them more resistant to potential injury risk um, and provide them with a bit more longevity. So that's really my goal. It's maximizing the health as a priority and then also increasing their efficiency and their performance capabilities. But using the tech allows me to get objective data, but then I also periodically use it to monitor um, progress, to ensure that they're improving in the areas that we've detailed 
in terms of being deficits. And then often, sometimes the tech is that sensitive, it allows me to detect when the players are tired. So sometimes I, I give them more recovery and I back them off. There's a couple of guys this summer that um, I noticed that the, the power levels were dropping off with some tests that we were doing. So rather than push through, which traditionally, you know, a lot of athletes think, you know, I've got to, we're just going to keep working and push. No push, pain, push, no gain. Know. Yeah, just keep going. Yeah, work hard, not smart type of mentality, and then end up injured. I'll, I'll provide them with more recovery strategies or change the style of training that we do that day, just to, you know, back off a little bit and, and then retest, make sure that they're, they're in a fresh state and then they're ready to. Um, you know, work and, and over, overload their body um, incrementally and safely. I want to put a bookmark in there because there's some, obviously there's a discussion to be had where what would you do without all this fancy tech? And I want to take some of your findings and learnings and apply them to the everyman, but we'll do that a little bit later on um, in the discussion because I think there's a lot that, you know, just yeah. the person that goes to the gym every day can learn from someone like you. Uh, so remind me in case I forget. I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll write it down here, but I'm making a note to come back to that kind of stuff later. But I'm sure with all this, it sounds like you know individualization, that's very important to you because you want to make sure you tailor the programs, the assessments, the routines to each guy or woman who you deal with individually. But I'm sure there's got to be some commonalities, right? What are some things that athletes you have found time and again always do pretty commonly that's a huge mistake the most common mistake kind of you find in, in terms of injury prevention is it working too hard when they should be backing off is it uh, something else i mean you've got to find some kind of through line i'm sure between a lot of these people right yeah i think you, you hit the nail on the head There's, it's too often that athletes train in a fatigued state and you know when you're training in a fatigued state you're never able to give your best you're never able to train at your maximum and you never and your performance isn't going to be optimal so you're training up ultimately you're training bad habits you, it is and people often get confused with um f freshness and being ready to perform at their best and fitness and when somebody looks tired that's often confused with lack of fitness now you know it's it's really important to overload the body to get adaptation but if you overload excessively and don't allow for enough recovery, what ha often happens is you get an accumulation of fatigue and then you don't adapt, you get tired. And as you get tired, your ability to execute your movements, your actions becomes uh, you know, less of, of a lower quality. So you, first of all, your risk of injury is increased because you're not controlling your movements as well because neuromuscular fatigue has set in. And then you're not actually executing your skills as well. And, you know, that's often, you know, why you see uh, a drop off in performances with, with many teams is they just suffer from lack of freshness. So my goal and my recommendation to a lot of athletes is you need to don't be afraid to add in more recovery time. It's a fear factor often that I need to work, work, work. I've got to get better when, yes, you do need to work, but quality work is um, you know, what you want. And often quality is unfortunately sacrificed over quantity. And then it's only when an injury occurs that they have to back off or reset or recalibrate. Or, you know, you often see where players or athletes keep getting injured. It's usually because they're not allowing for the body to recover and they're overloading excessively. Um, or it might be that the loading is okay, but the, their ability to recover is reduced due to them, themselves not 
providing themselves with uh, optimal recovery strategies such as um, sleep, which is the most important thing for recovery. Like if their sleep habits are terrible, even if they're not ex overexerting themselves, the, the level of stress to the body is increased and the recovery is reduced when, when you're not sleeping because that's where you repair, you regenerate. And then also if your nutrition is out of whack, if you're not um, refueling or repairing through the food that you eat, or if you're putting poor fuel into the body, like athletes are like Ferraris, they should, they, and they, they demand the best, they should uh, be putting the best fuel into that Ferrari. Whereas, you know, if you put poor fuel like diesel in a Ferrari, it's not going to work. So you've got to put the best fuel into, 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 into the athlete. And, and that's really going to help with recovery. And then there's all the like 1% as two around that. So like, you know, um, compression socks and doing, you know, uh, hydrotherapy and ice baths and massage and all the other things that will help with them, um, be prepared for the next time they train to, to make sure that they're fresh. But, the main thing is like maximizing the things that provide them with energy so they are fresh for training and then ensuring that their, their program isn't one of excessive overload. You want incremental overload, but measured overload. So you know that, yes, you're overloading the body, but if I overload it enough, then I'm going to get a positive response. If I overload it excessively, then I'm going to get a negative reaction. Chances are I'm going to be too sore to do anything the next day or I'm going to get, um, I'm going to increase my risk of injury and my performance is going to drop. So it's, you know, it's just being a little bit more um, uh, objective with how the training's planned and not just doing things by feel, being smarter about, well, this week, you know, I'm going to make sure that this is my session on this day. This is the quantity. This is what the target is. It's more of a technical session. It's going to be on the load. I'm not going to push myself. Well, I'm going to always do my maximal, but I'm not going to, um, get myself into an overloaded state. I'm going to be fresh for every single drill that I'm doing. Because the next day, this is all about conditioning. I'm going to condition, but I know that I'm conditioning more than last week, but not excessively more, only by 10%. And then I'm going to do the same the next week. And then the following week, I'm going to up it. And then I, over time, over a long latitudinal period of time, I'm getting fitter, I'm staying fresh, I'm healthy, and I'm gradually building things up as opposed to smash, 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 fall off the rails and get injured which you see all the time in pre-season like pre-season is a classic example and it's it's shocking how um many injuries there are in pre-season when that at that time the teams have full control you know they have control or athletes have full control over what they're doing so you shouldn't be getting injured then like all non-contact injuries are avoidable so you know it's by overtraining and working hard um, without, you know, adequate recovery or overloading excessively is, you know, massive injury risk. Um, I mean, you got, you have to work hard, don't get me wrong, and put the effort in, but it's efficiency, it's applying effort, being smart and, you know, working hard at the right times and making sure the adequate rest and recovery is in place to, to regenerate and repair for the next session. See, the problem is when you're like me and you take it too far to the other side and I'm like, oh, I'll skip the gym today. I, I need that recovery time when really I probably should be doing something. But you, you try and convince yeah. yourself otherwise. Well, it's all programming at the end of the day. It's about having a plan. Right. And like knowing that your plan is incrementally going to overload you. And often what people do who um, don't do too much, they go to the extreme again. So they go to the extreme, they get sore, and then they're like, oh, I can't be I don't want to do any more. I don't do that again. I can't walk for a week. Well, if you start off with small steps and then just gradually build on that, 
then your body adapts, the chance of you getting injured are so much less. And then, you know, the chances that you're going to stick to it are higher because you're not getting too sore and you're just gradually giving your time to adapt and adjust. And it's the same thing. It's just it's just the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> just having a plan and a program. Exactly. And sticking to it. Um, man, that's such a good segue to talking about how your learnings and findings can apply to everyday people. But I have one more question about working with these Ferraris, as you put them. Yeah. We see players, you know, we're all fans, right? I'm sure everyone listening to this is some kind of a sports fan uh, in some capacity. Your favorite player or a critical player from your team goes down. He's out whether it's a month, she's out for 9 to 12 months, whatever, and they're just gone, right? We don't know. We hear they're out maybe 8 to 12 months, 6 to 12 weeks, whatever, and then all of a sudden we just see them when they're coming back and ready to play. What's the biggest misconception you think fans have about what goes on when their favorite player is rehabbing? Like, what can you give us behind the scenes that you see going on in that process that maybe those of us who only watch the games don't re- don't get to know? Yeah, I mean, usually when you're just watching the games, you might see that player on the sideline and, you know, or in the crowd or on the bench and just like sitting there watching. And no one really knows um, the work that they're putting on putting in behind the scenes and in my experience um you know these the injured players uh they that they try to work on things that are going to make them better outside of you know being on the court or be on the field so they are really like still dedicated to to improving and often the best athletes what they do is they use that as an opportunity to get better in other areas to try and um, be better leaders to, to understand the technical side of the game more. So they're, they're putting in hours in other areas and, you know, they, they try to, to fill the time that they're not playing in training with other things that's going to help them develop um, and improve. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on with injured athletes for the recovery, first of all, um, just to try and, you know, heal and, and, and rehabilitate. And the, the work that goes on with that is... Um, you know, intense at times. Um, but there's also other stuff that they, they do too, just to to try and develop and improve, um, just so, so the, you know, the, the constantly, um, you know, setting their standards high and, and ensuring that when they come back, they're not coming back the same player, they're coming back as a better player. And I, I think that, you know, that that's, it's hard for athletes to, to, to be out because the you know that's the thing that they they love doing is playing and when you're injured it's psychologically really tough at times but the thing that they love doing they can't do so they have to to fill in uh, the gaps with other things that aren't going to compromise their injury but still provides that uh, stimulation so they can um, you know keep developing and improving and maintaining fitness in other ways. Uh, I mean, improving strength and developing themselves as leaders or better people or, you know, understanding the game, technically and tactically spending more time with the coach and, you know, trying to do things that are, are going to help the team or maybe in the community. So that's another thing that a lot of players do that I've worked with. They do stuff in the community when they're injured. They do more events. They, you know, put themselves out there. So um, there's a lot that goes on other than just training and playing with these guys. And uh, in the NBA especially, it's ridiculous how much the schedules get filled up. They have hardly any time off with the travel and game schedule as it is, but then you know they get an afternoon and it's filled with schedule with um, appearances to go and do various things, which is important because you know they're they're um, public figures and they can really you know inspire 
young people. So it's it's important that they're you know doing these things, but it's it's tough for them. Um, you know when they're when they're playing, but when they're injured, they're, you know they have a little bit more flexibility with their schedules, so they can you know go and do more of that stuff for the for the community. All right, you hear that, people? When you see your favorite player in street clothes behind the bench, they're busting their ass all the time, all day. It's not just, you know, chilling and waiting for the the muscle to grow back. Yeah, 100%. So (laughs) let's talk about people like me, because I'm not a multi-million dollar athlete being paid to maintain a perfect uh, body or as close to that ideal as possible. So what's some stuff, Andy, that people like me can do better? We've already talked on a couple things that I'm sure are transferable. Get your sleep. Eat well. Um, give yourself some rest when you work out. But I'm sure there's got to be some stuff you probably see at, at a local gym that people are just doing terribly or like stretches that are trash, but people are still doing them because that's what they were taught when they were kids. What's some more stuff you can see from what you've learned working with these high-end athletes that maybe people like me can apply to ourselves on a daily basis? Yeah, um, I think there's, there's, a, there's multiple things. I think you hit the... Uh, the nail on the head with a few initially um, just from, you know, the, the preparation side of it from having optimal sleep and nutrition. I think being smart with your diet and it's not just what you eat, but the timing of your, of your food too. And um, making sure that you're eating um, with plenty of time to digest your food before you go to bed. That's a, a key mistake that a lot of people make. They eat too late and because they're eating too late, they're still digesting when they're sleeping and, and the quality of sleep is, is, um, is effective. So they wake up tired and then they, because they're tired, then they're not, you know, inclined as much to go to the gym and do the work that they want to do or, you know, or that when they do go, they're putting themselves at more risk because they haven't slept well. So they're not fully fresh. So being smart with the timing of your food and what, not just what you eat, but when you eat. So, you know, if you go to bed at 10, you should be, you know, eating, um, around six, seven, just to make sure that you've got at least three to four hours of digestion time before you then go to bed. And then your body is in complete recovery then. So taking away all stimulation for like 12 hours is ideal. So, you know, if you go to bed at, um, if your last meal is at six and you, then you, your next meal should be 6am the next day. So you get full 12 hours of not eating and that allows you sleep to just really, be of a higher quality um and then you know when you go to the gym just like starting the engine is is key like i spoke about a car before like building the stuff up that you do so having a good warm-up so it's like a macro and a micro so micro cycle you need to in every session you do have a decent warm-up and then you know don't focus too much time on on flexibility and mobility i think there's a lot of emphasis on the importance of flexibility and mobility when actually the evidence and the research out there is limited in terms of its effectiveness of, you know, reducing injury risk or preventing injuries. And I think often people overstretch muscles that actually need to be stiffer. And hmm. by overstretching the gluteal muscles, for instance, that can often be an issue because that those muscles help um, control the hip, the lower back, the knee and the foot alignment. So or the, the, the lower leg alignment, so, you know, having good um, activation of muscles is just important. Doing more of a dynamic warm-up before um, you start any exercises is, is super important. And and then just being smart with the volume that they do. And uh, I think often people like to really get that work in, 
you know, the first day and then they burn out. And then the rest of the week, it's about catching up or like, oh, that first session that I did was so intense. You know, I'm still recovering from that. Whereas, you know, what the, the, the top pros and teams do is they start the engine, the first session. It's just like first session of the week. Not too, not too intense, more extensive. So, you know, um, more endurance base, not so aggressive, not intense. And then build it up through the week, more intense stuff. And then the following day after you've had an intense workout, just bring it back down again, have a bit more of a lower day and ensure that there's enough um, time in between sessions to allow for recovery when they're overloading themselves and um, monitoring that. So there's enough technology out there like that people can use nowadays where they can monitor what they're doing. And when you're monitoring, just be smart with, uh, with how much you're doing and just measure it, track it and if you you can only manage what you measure so you know if you're if you're measuring things and you can see um how much you're doing over time and are you building your training program up incrementally and overloading yourself in a way that's allowing for optimal adaptation or are you just doing way too much or you're spiking and then you're not doing enough and you're not being consistent so i think if you track things with the technology that's out there now on smartphones and stuff that's that's a really good benefit but you know, I think it's and variety is important too. Like making sure that you're not doing the same type of exercise. You might want to target, um, you know, similar areas of the body, but just uh, mixing things up. Like if you, you know, you if you if all you do is play a sport and then you don't take care of other areas, like don't do some other type of exercise. For instance, to, to try and balance out the, the muscles in your body that allow to, um, you know, help improve posture and stability and movement control, then, you know, you're not really, um, you're not taking care of yourself. So I think it's been smart with, you know, not just thinking about getting fit and playing sport, and it's it's about having more of a a complete program when you're exercising. And days when you're starting the engine, you can fo- have have more of a focus on. You know, today is more my day where I'm going to focus on improving my balance and my control of movement and my stability. And I'm going to do a little bit of light cardio work. Whereas tomorrow I'm going to be going more intense. I'm going to have more of an intense day. I'm going to start increasing, um, you know, the intensity of my running drills or um, I'm going to, you know, be, be lifting more. And then the following day, I'm going to bring it back down again. I'm having more recovery day and then cycling things like that. That's how, you know, I, what, how I would program it for um you know the somebody somebody that i was working with who's a client of mine that's not a professional athlete just making sure that everything is cycled and there's enough variation in the in the program that is addressing all the things that you need to do to stay healthy well this has all been a a ruse to get you to answer this next question about me specifically andy so thanks for all the information for everyone else but um so my girlfriend, she was a, a runner competitively through college, uh, long distance, and she noticed recently that I tend to stand and walk and even run with my feet pointing out a little bit instead of straight ahead. And she's telling me that uh, this is a cause for injury. I'm going to hurt myself eventually when I'm doing you know athletic stuff. So Andy, now I'm being selfish here with this question. How big of a deal is that, and how do I go about fixing it? If I was your client, what what kind of uh, advice would you give me for that particular ailment? Well, it depends on if it's if there's movement that's coming from your hips, or whether you actually have a structural change 
in your bones that causes your feet to turn out. Now, when your knees are straight, pointing forwards, do your feet point straight or do your feet turn out? No, they point straight. Okay, so what's probably happening is the when your feet are turning out, your knee joint is rotating um, outwards um, or your hip joint is rotating inwards and the, the feet relatively turn outwards because of that. So uh, what I would do um, is I would look at someone's ability to do a squat and see whether they can keep their um, feet straight when they do a squat or a single leg squat or a lunge uh, or a hop or things that relate to what they're doing. And if they can't do that, then I would start to see where that movement is being lost. Is it because the hip's coming in or is it because the the knee's staying straight but the foot's turning out? And then I would look at improving the muscles that control that rotation during a specific exercise like the squat. So if we take the squat, for instance, I would say, okay, I want you to squat, keeping your knees straight, and maybe put a foam roller between your feet, like it's one of those small foam rollers, so, which are like half the size of like, you know, the long ones, and then have have your uh, the balls of your feet like kind of press into that foam roller. So they have to stay straight when you're doing the squat. Um, or I would, um, you know, do a, do a small knee bend, um, with the toes turned in or do a single leg, small knee bend with the toes turned in to try and activate, you know, the muscles that control that rotation. Um, what can often happen though, and you have to be careful is that there's a joint at the, the, the top of, uh, or just by the knee, um, the superficial tib fib joint that can sometimes cause a restriction to prevent your uh, toes from coming in and being straight so i would maybe look at maybe doing some mobility work on that just to see that it's gliding backwards to allow the the lower leg to to rotate in to provide alignment and you can actually do some um soft tissue release in the, in the muscles on the outside of the leg too to help that because sometimes if those muscles that lift your foot outwards so your tibialis um, anterior or the perineal muscles that are on the front of your shin and to the outside if they get tight then they can actually um, cause a bit of a, a restriction in that joint I mentioned and, and prevent the the toes from coming in and staying straight in line with the knee joint so by you know releasing those muscles that can actually allow the, the foot to become in more alignment with the knee when you're doing um, the exercises but the key muscle that actually controls um, that external rotation that we're talking about. So when the foot turns out is a small muscle that's at the back of the knee. So popateus. All right. I will have to Google that. And yeah. I, this is not just for me because I was at the gym today and I was looking around because now I was self-conscious about it. And I saw that a lot of people were doing that same thing. So I'm sure a lot of people listening suffer from that as well. Uh, you were very technical and scientific. My girlfriend said, stop walking like a duck. That was the way that she put it to me. <laughs> So that's it's, I mean, that's a good cue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I want to avoid any duck-like uh, behaviors. Um, yeah. Andy, we uh, thank you for that, man. And uh, we end every show with uh, the following two segments. Uh, it's the fun five in a little bit, which are five uh, quick questions just for you. But before sure. that, I like to offer everyone the chance to turn the tables. And you don't have to, but if you'd like to, because I like to share the love here on my podcast, you can ask me any question you want. If you'd like, go ahead. The floor is yours. Well, thank you. I mean, what's your favorite exercise to do in the gym? 
Ooh, um, I <clears throat> depends. I actually I did some today. I think it's my favorite because it's something I was never able to do growing up. But now that I've gotten in better shape as I get older, I can. It's a it's a burpee chin up combo. So like I'll be under a chin up or a pull up bar. I'll drop down for a burpee. When I was a kid, I couldn't even do a single chin up or a single pull up at all. I was like that fat kid in in middle school gym that couldn't do anything. But now I'll go through, you know, 10, 20 reps of that, and it just gets me sweating, gets the heart racing, it makes me look cool and athletic in the gym, I think. <laughs> um, so I like that because it also, it just makes me feel like I'm actually doing something and not just, you know, pushing a bench press like everyone does so easy all the time. It's kind of boring. So I, that's probably my favorite one. Oh, that's good. Yeah, something a little bit different, keep you interested. That's the main thing. Stay yeah, because I hate, yeah, just like lunges or squats. They're just so boring and repetitive, yeah. and I need stuff that keeps me a little bit more, a uh, little more movement, a little engaged. more entertaining. Yeah, engaged. Yeah, yeah. 100%. What, what's your favorite sport that you like to watch? Oh, well, now you're asking two questions. Now you're getting a little oh, bit of a, a leash multiple. in your leeway. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it depends, man. It's always about the time of year. I mean, I love watching so many um, like I was in Russia for the World Cup this summer. I know you were following England, uh, and yeah, and I was there for my Portugal squad. So you know that time of year, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else or watching anything else but soccer. But now yeah. you know the NBA's back, and I just love seeing Steph Curry and what he can do. Yeah. We just had the World Series, and I'm thinking there's nothing better than October baseball. I have no answer. It's a it's a giant cop out because I have no. I yeah. love watching them all. It's really I can't pick one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But you, I mean, you get to work with these people from all over the place. Olympians, soccer, basketball. It's got to be so different for you now seeing them appreciate what they do on TV after seeing what they go through behind the scenes. So I'm a little bit jealous of that access, that perspective that you have. I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's nice. I, I really I give it like a, a deeper understanding to, you know, the emotional side of it. And when I've got a um, you know personal relationship with people that are are playing in these competitions is you know there's a lot more meaning behind the support that i give so no it's some i'm lucky from that perspective for sure ah, so cool all right andy we're gonna end with the fun five these are five quick and fun questions designed for you and you alone question number one what's the most must-have piece of equipment for injury prevention oh some bands oh, some bands, bands. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, most people don't think they need those, but you can pick up a pack of like five or six at your local sporting goods store. I see people working them all the time. That's good stuff. Um, question number two, you've worked with so many people. Who's been your biggest success story of an athlete? Someone who was just totally transformed after working with you? Someone that rehabbed the, the hardest and the best? Who's someone that you think, if you were a, you know, a teacher in school, would be your, your A-plus student? Oh, that's a tough one. There's just there's been so many players that I've worked with over the years. I mean, ones that stand out. Um, Amari Stoudemire was a, a great, um, uh, you know, success story when he was at the Knicks. From you know what where he was when we we had him and able to keep him playing for a couple, you know for for years. Um, that was that was a good one. Um, I think recently. Uh, working with Quincy Pondexter and helping him guide him through his uh, rehab this summer when he was like couldn't hadn't played really for two years and then he ended up getting a contract with um, San Antonio and now he's on the on their squad so that was a, that was a good one. 
Um, soccer. Uh, I think Daniel Sturridge was is a, a, you know been um, he's he's been a good success story too with some of the work that we've done um, to help him with his the hip stuff that he's had in the past. Um, Wilson Chandler, he's another one. Um, had some, um, you know, he's he's done very well with uh, since we've been working together with some of the the injuries that he's had. He's been able to overcome them. Um, yeah, I've just I've been lucky. I've worked with quite a number of athletes that have, uh, have responded very well to the programming that we've been doing. Question number three: You've dealt with a lot of athletes. You just said you've seen a lot of them do some great things. Assuming you could test drive an athlete like a car, whose body would you want to take over of anyone that you've worked with? Just see what it's like to be them for a day or a week. Oh, um, Odell Beckham. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's not a bad choice. <laughs> yeah. Or Paul George, one of them two. I don't know, yeah. I, I wouldn't argue with either one of those. Question number four, what's the most overrated exercise that people do? Abs, crunches, just sit-ups. So cut them out of the routine, just pointless. I just think that, you know, the, the abdominals aren't um, used effectively when, when they're doing ab crunches. You want to, you, it's important to contr- um, use your, your core and use your abdominals, but not in that capacity. You're better off using them in a functional capacity in, in a way that they're, they're designed to, to help with function. So more isometric work. Um, and then in, in using them in, in more functional patterns of motion rather than just doing sit-ups and crunches to get a six-pack because that doesn't do anything for you from a performance perspective. All right, stop the sit-ups, people. And the last question for you, Andy. Number five, will England win a World Cup in your lifetime? Yes. Men's World Cup. Yeah? For sure. Next one. Gonna Next one. Oh, wow. Guarantee. Yeah. You young, heard it here first. Yeah, young team. Did really well this last one. Only going to get better. All right. Before you get, to get ready. I love the optimism, I love the enthusiasm, and I'm sure you'll probably play a part, uh, a hand in helping at least some of those guys, whoever they may be, on that 23-man squad once it comes around. Um, Andy, thanks so much. This was very informative, very fun. Uh, Plug whatever you want to plug, any social media, uh, the work you're doing. Where can people find out more about you and what you got going on? Yeah, so I'm based in uh, Encino uh, in a performance performance facility called Sports Rehab LA. Uh, my company is called Innovate Performance. My Instagram and Twitter are Andy Bar PT. Um, and uh, yeah, my new tech that I'm working with that I discussed today uh, is called Quantum Biomech. That's um, the website for that is quantumbiomech.com. All right, uh, awesome. So check that out, people, if you want to get your body right, like uh, Andy does for all of his awesome clients. And I'm going to have to go check that out myself. Andy, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate the time. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me on. All right. And all you guys, make sure to check out MikeJanella.com for all previous episodes. Wherever you're listening to this, make sure to subscribe. I put out some good content every once in a while. So give it a rating or a review, and you'll be the first one to see when my next podcast or videos or anything like that come out. Also, thanks to Grapes for providing the outro music that you're hearing right now. And most of all, thanks to you guys for listening. I'll do even better next time. See ya!